पैरानॉर्मल रियलिटी सीजन थ्री विद जय अलानी इस बार होगा और जोर से भूतों की झूठी कहानियों पर रियलिटी का वॉर लिसन टू द पॉडकास्ट अ मंथ बिफोर एनी वेयर एल्स एक्सक्लूसिवली ऑन एमेजॉन म्यूजिक Included with your Prime membership. Namaste, Jai Hind. Welcome to another edition of ANI Podcast with Smita Prakash. Today's episode is my conversation with Pawan Verma. Mr. Verma has been a former bureaucrat. He was in the External Affairs Ministry, held very important positions, an ambassador. He's also an author who's written a variety of a uh, book on variety of subjects. He's been a politician, uh, joined Nitish's JDU, and then moved over to the TMC. Uh, uncomfortable with Nitish's U-turn when he joined the BJP or joined an alliance with the BJP, to be specific. Pavan Verma is also an essential, uh, essentially a Delhi boy. He um, he typifies what is known as Latians Delhi or uh, or what is known as uh, the Khan Market Gang. So I spoke about all that. I spoke about politics, and he discussed with me what it meant to make the transition from bureaucracy to politics. Uh, he spoke about. Uh, being of hindutva of what it means for a sanatan hindu or an hindu uh, to you know be to face this hindutva onslaught as he terms it and then to, spoke about bureaucracy the letters which are being written about by bureaucrats against the government for the government uh, a, a myriad of issues so it's an interesting conversation about uh, what it means for grassroots level politics versus an a kind of an elite view about what grassroots level politics is about but he remains grounded in spite of being from elite delhi pavan ji thank you very much for speaking with me on ani podcast with smita prakash pleasure is mine it's it's an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here i've known we've known each other for so long when i was cutting my teeth in journalism you were in the foreign service and very kindly you used to give me information which was you know which i could use in my stories and uh, the beat was different the foreign office beat was different television was like so small i know and we were so few of us in yes. doing television but you took to the medium very easily uh, you know even then though you uh, i guess when you joined the service there was just print yes. not much of television so anyway and you you know after an illustrious career in uh, in the foreign service you decided to make the shift and uh, join politics so before i get on to today's india and today's politics i want to know from you what prompted you why did you move from like you know a steady way of life which bureaucracy is to the tumult of politics well you know i i greatly enjoyed the foreign service and let me reiterate what a great pleasure it is to talk to you as you said we've known each other for so long not only you but sanjeev your husband your father in law your father mr ramon rao who was very close to me so i enjoyed the foreign service but i felt i wanted a larger canvas to be better able in my small way to contribute to bigger issues uh so i was toying with the idea of public life for a while and uh, i was about to take the step but it so happened uh i mean as a coincidence that mr nitish kumar the chief minister of bihar visited bhutan mm. when i was ambassador there and uh, we got on very well and one thing led to another and he said to me i told him i would like to work with you although i must confess at that time i had offers also from the congress party i had friends in the bjp the late arun jetli was my class fellow hmm. since school college law faculty okay. so we were very good friends you were in st stephens i was in uh, st stephens he went to sri ram we were both debaters we used to debate against each other then we both joined law fac together and we were in the same class in st xavier school okay so but i joined nitish kumar uh, and uh, uh, made the transition to politics he was very kind in the sense that he made me a cabinet minister straight away with, as advisor to the chief minister 
and later sent me to the Raj Sabha. And uh, I have never regretted the decision, Smita. Hmm. But that was the main motivation. Hmm. I must say that in a certain way, I was already in public life because of the many books I had. Books, written. right. So I was not entirely a conventional bureaucrat. Right. And so it seemed logical to take the step to see how I could in my small way contribute. But the books that you have written, uh, that wasn't that wasn't hardcore, hardcore politics, you know. It was, I mean, from writing about the middle class to writing about the Kama Sutra, you've written the the canvas is vast. But it's not, it's not about, uh, say, like, Maybe, you know, suppose it had been the Naxal issue or caste or something like that, which was hardcore politics. You didn't write about that. No, actually, know? the service rules don't permit you Correct. Uh, to write on uh, politics per se. Hmm. But I must say that I pushed those horizons almost to the limit. For instance, apart from Ghalib, my biography, Krishna and Poetry so and, so, and all poetry, that, yeah. Kefi I translated Gulzar Sahab, Gulzar I translated, okay. and translated Kefi Azmi and above and all Atal Bihari Vajpayee, yes. which was a very warm relationship. But uh, uh, like my book, The Great Indian Middle Class, yes. now it is not written with a political stance, but it encompasses so many political points of view. True. Similarly, my book, Being Indian. Yeah. Uh, which was a hard look at who we are, hmm. had an entire chapter, the first chapter, on power and our obsession with power. So there were tangential comments on politics, but I didn't write about it directly. Hmm. So, But those books fortunately did well. I was in the public realm. I was speaking on contemporary issues because of some of them. Right. And so I think that in some form I was already a public in public life mm-hmm. I made a transition to direct politics right. uh, when I resigned from this so service. tell me what what was it that didn't work uh, with you and the JDU I mean there was there was that letter that you had written about uh, about how it didn't sit well when uh, Nitish joined hands with the BJP and especially on CAA and NRC uh, I saw that letter that you had written so was it just that or were you just uncomfortable with the way Nitish had made a U-turn at that stage uh, well, I think it was a combination of both uh, Nitish ji, when I joined him, was a member of the NDA. Hmm. Mr. Narendra Modi had not yet come on the scene. And with that BJP, he seemed to be comfortable. And You were comfortable with I that I was comfortable. NDA. I knew Atal Bihari Vajpayee very well. Advani ji also very well. And, and I think uh, I joined him for what he had done in Bihar. So, I mean, there were okay. two aspects to it. Then he decided to take a strong stand against the uh, ascent of Mr. Narendra Modi as the leader of the BJP. And we were with him. He suffered for it. We suffered for it. He, in the 2014 elections, as you know, the JDU just got two seats in the parliamentary elections. When Nitish ji resigned, we were with him and Mr. Manji became chief minister and we remained with him on principle. When you say suffered, you mean electorally Electorally. Suffered. Electorally okay. suffered for mm. that choice. I mean, it would have been perhaps easier in terms of uh, pure expediency or utility to be with a rising star and be a part of the NDA sure. at that time. Uh, but that was his decision and we backed it on grounds of ideology and principle. And then uh, when he made that U-turn to the BJP, now there were close to five years of Mm. him being uh, very vocal about why Mm. Bharat, RSS Mukt Bharat and his his criticism of Narendra Modi. So this overnight switch was quite inexplicable to me, frankly. You, you, none of you had any inkling that he was mulling over this move? No, actually the truth is, and I don't know if it was intentional, I was a National General Secretary of the JDU and I have checked with my colleagues, the four or five others who were on this top executive position in the party. None of them seemed to know it. It seemed to have been a decision worked out in Patna. Hmm. 
and perhaps he took that decision from the best intentions okay. but it was ideologically such a volt face i mean such a right. u turn that i was uncomfortable but i was with him still because in many ways there is a great personal affection between me and nitish he has been very kind to me and also uh, his personal integrity uh, his administrative acumen uh, his intellectual leanings these were things that bonded us together but on the caanrc and i am not saying my views are correct i know in india there are two views on the subject i know your views are different from mine i said that for him to approve of the caanrc uh, because the jdu had supported that in parliament and so i voiced my opposition and uh, it became that yeah. he i was expelled from the party uh did that hurt does no, it does it, it bother no it did hurt because it was a very cherished and treasured relationship because the way i know you you would have chosen to get out rather than wait to be expelled because that is something a hardcore politician does take a stand wait to be expelled and then move over to you see there no? seemed to be at that time no meeting point mm. and i was seeing and now nitish ji acknowledges himself that as uh, in the bjp nitish ji was himself uncomfortable mm -hmm. and was being treated uh, in a manner that uh, made it clear to him who's the boss in fact when the first mm -hmm. time narendra modi came and it was on a public rally in patna and nitish ji made one request and he said mai aapse haath jod ke kehta hu patna university ko wo mm -hmm. recognition de dijiye and uh, the prime minister listened to it gave no assurance and nothing happened so i mean these kind of things were happening and i was uncomfortable with it because i also saw nitish ji as a leader in his own right and he used to be But the leader of the right. largest party i mean mm. the bjp that's one thing about whichever party wins or loses in in True. bihar True. he stays the chief minister so where is it uh, i mean i understand that that in private and then you know uh, sensitivities get hurt these are things which happen in politics but the point is at no point of time was anybody in the bjp for contention for chief minister's job it was always going to be nitish election after election doesn't matter how many seats he would get there was some something about nitish kumar that he stays chief minister anyway uh, but to get 2019 onwards it became much worse worse okay pk he, also left because of this I, he and i were expelled from the party on the same day by the same letter do you think there was it was completely nitish kumar's choice or was the decision to expel you or do you think no i think it could have been a party corridor, choice whispers of no it could have been a party, party choice, choice and uh, i i think as in terms of the disciplinary rules of the party they felt it appropriate to expel us why did you immediately go over to the tmc They not immediately me. okay i Give i must say a... there was a hiatus of almost 2 years huh. and uh, let me also clarify that after i was expelled at a personal level my relationship with nitish ji remained yes. to be good sure. i went to see him once at the height of covid we had a long chat we used to talk to each other uh and he 2019 onwards i think nitish ji was feeling uncomfortable but unable to break with the bjp you know he was yes. reduced to 43 seats yeah through the what he calls the chirag pass one factor now he became a junior partner uh, and uh, not at the highest level but at the level of patna and bihar politics bjp <laughs> leaders would make comments about you know who's the real but boss but there's always so. been the case in bihar politics there's always been this kind of uh, they'll be together because of coalition uh, problems but they would keep making these statements that's the that's the bihari way of doing politics is where you don't it's a no holds barred issue when it comes to speaking your mind at least that's what my experience has been with i mean even with lalu yadav and the others they would keep you know there was this acerbic 
comments that Laluji would make about uh, Nitish ji, but they were together at one point of time during the Gatpandan, despite, so they were, it was like, you know, two brothers in a joint family where they do talk. So uh, I would, anyway, let's get to the TMC part. So you joined TMC at a point where TMC was expanding, getting people across the board, you know, thinkers, cricketers, everybody was coming in. And so one thought, okay, natural progression, Pawanji goes towards well, you know, TMC. Uh, and then you leave the TMC again? No, I'll tell you what's happened. I'll be honest and candid with you. With Nitish Ji in the BJP alliance, uh-huh. uh, People like me were wondering how to have one figure who could hmm. be primus inter Paris, first among equals in hmm. terms of being able to coordinate and bring together the opposition, hmm. which a democracy needs, which the prime minister himself says that our democracy must have. And after her dramatic victory in West Bengal for a third time, we felt that she has the fire, the, the energy, the belief of perhaps scaling up the TMC, mm. even perhaps with a new name, a new constitution on a, let's say, a, a wider level than just Bengal. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, a new name that was that was ambitious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the sense that the TMC is was largely a Bengal-centric party, sure. but Mamta Ji's personal. Uh, uh, image was, I think, larger than just a regional leader. So how mm. could we leverage that okay. uh, in a democratic way? And actually, when I joined her, uh, mm. the truth is I had not gone to join her. And this okay. is a very interesting story because perhaps I'm saying it for the first time publicly. Sure. And I say this with great respect and regard and uh, admiration for her warmth. I went to call on her mm. on a, one of her visits to Delhi. And she said to me, Pavanji, so party join kar rahe. Hmm. So I was non-committal. She said, Nee, aap join kije. Then she said, Aaj acha din hai. Hmm. <laughs> And she went inside because she's a very spontaneous and affectionate person and came out with a shawl which she says, Main aapke liye Darjeeling se lai. Okay. And she put it around my shoulder. Okay. Fate accompli you were there. No, no, no. I mean, and then a photograph was taken. And, mm. uh, and to be honest, at some level, she knew that I was thinking of how to reconfigure the opposition where she could play a pivotal role, but I had not joined the TMC. Okay. And then she said, after the meeting was over, I'll see you off to the gate, mm. to the car. When I went there with her, there were 50 press people. Mm. And she said, Pavanji, and so it, a journey began. Okay. And she was even more kind after two, three weeks, she made me the vice president yes. of the party. But over a course of time, I realized for the variety of reasons that Mamta Ji's energies hmm. require to be in terms of the opposition to her in Bengal, in terms of the needs of the TMC uh, the vision she has, the vision Abhishek has, uh, that she is perhaps by compulsion very Bengal-centric. I'm not saying that she's not recognized as a national leader, but very Bengal-centric. And in a Bengal-centric party, I didn't see a role for myself. So with great politeness, I resigned. So... um of course, everybody talks about opposition unity. And my personal view is right now, it's it's a phantom concept. It's not happening. You've been working on this behind the scenes, looking for somebody who could lead it, who could be there. Everybody knows that there's a whole bunch of people, whether it's Sita Ramji or you or PK or hunting for this leader. So when you joined the TMC, the idea was that, oh, okay, there seems to be some kind of meeting of minds that she would lead it. But as you say, that she's very Bengal-centric. Uh, and uh, do you see Nitish ji? Because, you know, see, uh, look at it. It it wasn't as if when we see the earlier experiments, it wasn't as if VP Singh had a national image. It wasn't as if Gujral Saab had or or Devi Gowda or Chandrasekhar or Charan Singh. You know, none of them had this pan-India appeal. But 
our politics is such in our country it happens do you see nitish as a factor who would be acceptable for this pan india image because now it's pre election positioning because that's what elections have become now it's personality oriented do you see nitish having so, the capability so first let's take the nitish ji and then i'll talk of the opposition sure see nitish ji has been chief minister of bihar for 17 years he is a grassroots politician from a very humble background uh, who's risen to the top in bihar has been a cabinet minister at the center in fact in atal bihari vajpayee's government uh, has been an mp in both the lok sabha and the raj sabha so and he comes from the hindi heart belt in terms of uh, a large state in the hindi mm. heart belt not that that is an essential prerequisite uh he also has that certain seniority mm. uh whereby without being a threat to any other leader he could if he so desires uh make the attempt the seniority and the experience of trying to weave together some kind of pan indian coordination with a larger opposition uh i let us call it a greater acceptability factor he has good relations with almost every political yeah he was in he met with kcr yes. with kejriwal with rahul gandhi i mean you know like, are they all on board or no, do no, they no. think the no, way I, that no. is not the way you okay. can build opposition unity hmm. i always say smita that what we need is not arithmetic unity hmm. what we need is organic unity which is an organic unity based on strategy coordination minimum common program one candidate from the opposition against the ruling bjp uh, uh, a certain narrative of its own and not only criticism of the bjp and an acceptable face not necessarily the supreme leader but who in a way acts as a pivot for the opposition so this way just meeting people is not the way an opposition unity and for remember we have very little time for 2024 it didn't happen even for the presidential election vice pre i mean mamta ji didn't even vote this is not the way this is not the way right now if you ask me i'm not very optimistic for the opposition the reason is very simple it is scattered hmm. it is in silos it is an opposition which is at war with itself let us give you two three examples the congress party opposes the aap perhaps even more than the bjp right uh in west bengal the principal opposition to the largest party against the tmc was the bjp and the principal opposition was the tmc hmm. but the congress and the cpim yeah fought against trinamool let's take telangana kcr kcr is the obvious opponent not of the congress now their principal opponent BJP. is the bjp but the congress is fighting kcr hmm. rather than uniting so just by speaking or meeting on a stage and holding your hands up you are not going to get opposition unity but it has to be a radically out of the box program so pavanji don't you think that um with the congress what happens is it's an existential crisis if they don't fight kcr right agreed that it's primarily uh, bjp versus uh, trs in telangana but if they don't fight kcr look at what he's saying it's an opposition united opposition minus the congress that's what kcr says so they have to fight the trs when it comes to uh, west bengal can you tell the congress already they've ceded space it's gone they're no longer there in the reckoning way so everywhere and with the aap they've gone in congress in uh, punjab so if they don't fight these regional parties or semi regional parties it's an existential crisis for them let they're say, angry yeah let me say three things hmm uh, and i know jayram's view or that of the congress leadership hmm for which he speaks is about congress not ceding space right uh and i completely understand that point of view congress is the mother of all political parties in india and there was a time when 
like a banyan tree it had roots across the country and therefore its desire to once again resurrect that past is understandable hmm. uh however there are in my view there are two combination of a dual strategy one is the long term where the congress is entirely entitled over in due course to resurrect itself by making the internal reforms which the party deems to be essential hmm. the second is a short term strategy 2024 2024 where without diluting or compromising upon your larger goal in terms of the imminent challenge you uh dovetail your larger ambitions with the imperative short term priorities so i believe in with great respect that in the congress they they need to see this aspect because mm. when the opposition is fragmented or divided mm. it divides the votes of the opposition and the only beneficiary is the bjp a third point let me say to you and again with great respect to kcrj i don't think you can have an opposition without the congress now why do i say it i say it because there are at least 200 seats parliamentary seats where one on one where the congress is the principal opponent of the bjp now no other regional party is in a position to fight the bjp so ideally a reformed or a vitalized revitalized congress fights those elections mm. because that's the bonanza for the bjp bjp has a strike rate of 96% against the congress mm. so either the congress or the entire opposition unites to strengthen the congress as the principal opponent to the bjp in these 200 seats if you have a non congress opposition that's really ambitious pavan ji can you imagine today if you or sitaram ji or anybody who's been working towards an opposition unity for now over 5 years i think if i'm not wrong is uh, to get kcr sharad pawar mamta akhilesh uh, mayawati i who have i left out tejasvi uh, all of them to get together and say okay let's make congress as a stronger party to take on the bjp even the 150 120 170 seats to strengthen because we are not there so let's do this do you see any of them swallowing their egos because it's become such an egotistical thing now in the in the opposition and that's the reason they're fragmented so that's why i said i'm not very optimistic but i that does not mean that it's not doable i'll tell you why politics is dynamic I, let me give you two examples 1977 or before from the emergency in 75 till 77 the opposition was rudderless i mean there were leaders different parties there was an old there man there was a jp ah there was yeah. an old man sitting in sadakat ashram in patna who woke up and yeah. became a cementing glue for an opposition i'm not saying it was a very successful experiment but it was good enough to decimate the congress party post the emergency let us take another example which seems even more invincible rajiv gandhi comes hmm. in 84 with 404 mps i mean he seemed to be there forever yeah and in 87 eight people meet in a drawing room in delhi and you know who they are we be saying arun nehru ramdhan and so on so forth. and out of nowhere a vp singh emerges a middle class messiah to take on yes yeah. i got so I i'm, I'm not that. saying i'm not saying it will happen and let me not for a moment devalue the popularity of narendra modi ji hmm. he is right now undoubtedly do you forget the towering this, political figure in the country do you remember the anna movement also so when anna hazare came everybody i mean not everybody but there was a section which thought that okay here's another person like a jp you know who could but he he fizzled out just like vp singh fizzled out at one point of time 
now there's this talk that could it be nitish kya but there is one lot which say ki wo jo mandalization of politics tha wo mandal agitation wala politics wo nahi ho sakta jo nitish ji ka wo jo caste based politics system hai wo bihar tak mein nahi chal sakta kya wo desh bhar mein kya uska jadoo chal sakta hai no there is a serious challenge now i'm not saying it's ne- mandal politics or let us say caste cohesion on certain issues of interest to those to those castes it is a factor hmm. but also we must understand that today that mandal instrument is being used against a political party which has three or four great intrinsic strengths which is the bjp first they have <clears throat> a very popular hmm. leader hmm. secondly they have a strong cadre hmm. and organization if you combine it with the rss cadre also thirdly it's a 24 into 7 electoral machine yeah and fourthly they have whether you agree with it or not a narrative which essentially consists of three or four elements hindutva hmm. politics hmm. hypernationalism hmm. and i must say partly successful welfareism where Yeah. targeted uh, uh help has reached the poorest sections of society so now if mandal politics by itself is pitted against this Won't it's be. not enough hmm. you have to do something more so this congress's bharat jodo yatra is supposedly that to galvanize uh, the cadres and once the cadres are galvanized then fix a narrative maybe a year or two late in doing this but then there was covid or whatever but that is the idea that the congress has that uh, you know that they need to well, understandably so that get their cadres but uh, and you see at every point of time they've have to battle a a, a party which as you say has very strong cadre has a narrative knows how to take on the opposition and things and the opposition looks divided now there's another line which says that this pre-election uh unity moves is a lost game let's not do that it happens after the election these this fragmented parties get together and we've seen upa1 upa2 it works so let's do that let's all get like our own little little groups let let kcr get his let mamta get hers so once it's all done then like you had a mulayam or like you had a harkishan singh surjit getting together and post election now i frankly smita i am not in favor hmm. of mere jod tod politics if the opposition does not put together hmm. a compelling narrative which appeals to people merely an series of arithmetical permutations and combinations will not create a convincing political entity as opposed to the bjp it will not okay so there are legitimate discontents the opposition has not put its act together i tell you price rise it's hurting people i know for a fact uh, the middle class has been reduced by almost 22% the poor have become poorer we live in a very unequal society where 1% of the rich own disproportionately the wealth and assets of this while the poor have gone become poorer there are no doubt achievements of the current government but in spite of that the global hunger index india has gone down rather than up so there are legitimate discontents so if you were to write your middle class book again you would revisit it and maybe write a different no, story I'll, i'll say i'll tell you why i may write a different story because i know that mr narendra modi's strategy to begin with in his ascent to the pinnacle of the bjp was to first influence the middle class because it has a ripple effect across the country the middle class is a pan indian class hmm. and he did that most successfully as a strong decisive leader with a vision against the lackluster and somewhat uh, unimpressive performance of upa2 hmm. so he emerged and the middle class loves a messiah and he came as one now 
if the middle class is disillusioned hmm. the bjp needs to worry because you can only do so much of hindutva people will go with hindutva because i think there are reasons for a certain degree of hindu backlash in my latest book the greatest great hindu civilization where i analyze those reasons and i accept the validity of some of them hmm. and i can so on another occasion or whenever you want go through each of them hmm. so there is a resonance to a certain reclaiming of hindu pride but you differentiate but, but, between but that but i think yeah. the same hindus don't want that don't hindutva don't want it endemic instability say. law and order situations and jisko kehte hain hindi mein asthirta because hindus are not jihadis hmm. in fact most citizens in this country except for for certain fringe which exists in all religions want to get on with their lives you'll be surprised during the height of the ayodhya agitation in 1992 uh, the traders of faizabad and ayodhya went on strike i have yeah. mentioned it in my book being indian and when they were asked they said ye to roz yahan curfew lagta hai hamara dhanda kaise hoga yeah so that dhanda bit is there everywhere it was there in gujarat it was there in so those who are the, i'll tell you when we were when this whole ayodhya movement happened and the rath yatras were out and all and i saw one of our television producers we we'd gone to dinner to his house and he had this sticker on his door which said garv se kaho hum hindu hain and i was like dhar sab kyun par garv se kaho matlab hindu to hindu hai usme garv ki kya baat hai matlab it was a way of life for all of us right we never felt the need to say it but that comes from this sense of entitlement because our hinduism or our being a hindu was never in threat but he was a he was a kashmiri hindu yeah, right his identity as a hindu was under threat for for a long long time so he needed to say it I so i understand where so for me it was a shocker and i understood this this entitled uh, hindu that i was who never felt her hindu or entitled upper caste that i never understood the mandal agitation i had to ask ki kya hai ye like mm. what is because why we were urban we were cosmopolitan. cosmopolitan we never felt nobody asked us and i never this easy Uh, upper caste life that one leads where caste doesn't affect me it didn't affect me it's only when the mandal agitation happened that i realized how entitled my life was how cushy my life was that i didn't face any atrocity so i couldn't understand quite that right, quite right right the same way till that uh, hindutva movement happened with the rath yatra i didn't understand the angst of the hindus who were under that threat similarly i can't even begin to understand or i couldn't till i saw the muslims being you know atrocities on them so unless you experience that to to say that oh this is uncalled for anyway let me now that i'm talking about that i have to speak to you because you're essentially a delhi wala what do you have to say to this whole latians delhi khan market gang because you are you are a khan market gang i'm a khan market gang <laughs> right we love to go to the khan market we love to go to khan market and shop and eat and have discussions so do you feel that okay maybe they are right we are entitled we were this khan market gang without a doubt without a doubt let me tell you when you refer you give you can give it any label latians khan market gang the fact is that there is a small but minuscule class which are the beneficiaries of inherited power and privilege it also is a fact that they are vociferous in their views but visibly cut off from the mainstream of life of the common masses outside the metropolises hmm. thirdly it's a class which in a way inherited power from the departing british although the country won independence the immediate beneficiaries were those who were already positioned to take advantage of independence hmm. their english was good their fluency in english was good they had been to good schools their parents were 
well to do and therefore the opportunities that they got were available to them without competition when i gave the foreign service exam you could give the exam only in english yeah out of my batch of the foreign service there were 10 boys from st stephens it's unfair you have to democratically empower others now the problem with latians is and the khan market gang is that they are so convinced about the validity of their point of view that i call them reflex liberalist liberalists which was just speaking about hinduism for instance they are strong believers in secularism hmm. but they have not read the ramayana except as a comic yeah. they believe that you know they know shakespeare more than kalidas so i'm just saying that they are cut off from the life impulses of the country a lot in the mea let me tell you this one example i'm i'm interrupting you but uh, there was uh, we going to cover the eu summit and uh, yashwant sinha was the em uh, external affairs minister uh, and uh, vajpayee ji was the prime minister and uh, the briefing happened like you always used to do as xp uh, heads so the external publicity whoever was the jsxp i don't remember exactly who it was but he then gave the questions and the question answer session continued and it was mr yashwant sinha answering all the questions and uh, so at one point of time i i said sir aapne jo angrezi mein kaha hai aap zara hindi mein kahenge and the entire um, media team which was covering it all these english speaking people who cover and mind you i was part of that mm, they giggled and they laughed oh come on you can translate it why do you need that right so Uh, then the JSXP said, "Chalo, chalo, chalo, utho." So I went up to Yashwant Sinha and I said that, "Both are okay, but you come from a Hindi belt. Quite right. Do you understand that there are Hindi channels which will not use this, won't use this uh, because it's too much of a pain? EU ka summit chal raha hai, European Union me kya chal raha hai? You think Bihar me ya Uttar Pradesh me anybody is interested? Mazak ud gaya hamara EU me because of whatever happened at that summit. There was some incident." but no, i don't elaborate but i even politicians let me tell you when they reach that age when they reach that uh, you know become an external affairs minister forget their roots it's only now you know when people have realized that we need to be aware ki hum log kahan se nikle hain aur hamara vote bank kis taraf hai bhai angrezi mein nahi hai i too learned how to speak in hindi only when i realized that i'm not reaching my audience Absolutely. it's not my language i'm a south indian but i learned how to speak fluently in hindi as much as i can because of this this whole latians gang khan market it is a reality isn't it indeed and let me tell you in my case i went to saint columbus you? yeah exactly i went to saint xavier's i went to saint stephen's i could have become a saint <laughs> at the at the end of it but i am proud that today or even from much earlier i can speak fluently in hindi write in hindi i have translated urdu but i had a, once a boss in mea who would tell me on the intercom I say, old chap, there is an HMT type of guy here. Hindi medium type. And once he even <laughs> used an it. expression called UMT, and then he's called Urdu, uh, UMT, Urdu medium type. You know, Urdu. can you can you deal with him? So this kind of elitism. <laughs> you totally... mimic very well. I know exactly <laughs> who you mean, but I'm not going to no, say no, the no. name. No, this kind I of know. elitism cut off from the reality of India. which by the way and this is my footnote doesn't mean that whatever the so called latians gang or karmanket gang believes in is wrong hmm. but they need to develop greater authenticity hmm. credibility hmm. in voicing it right otherwise it appears that they are in a sense prisoners of a past hmm. uh which and of a value system hmm. with of with which uh, they they mm-hmm. are unable to interpret for the masses so tell me this you know you've written an article also i read recently about uh, about the bureaucracy uh, writing letters hmm. suddenly finding spine or the lack of it whatever you might i mean you have 
two views on that about because obviously you will appreciate letters written by a certain set of bureaucrats against a certain government and a certain set of bureaucrats who are writing against those bureaucrats what is happening it never used to happen right bureaucrats never got together they were so divided as a lot now suddenly these letter letter wars are happening no no because i think the most i mean unless they get more involved and i mm. respect their views mm-hmm. a group of bureaucrats supporting something or a group of bureaucrats criticizing something mm. i think I, i i respect it but it contributes little and i think uh, a certain greater degree of activism needs to happen because what happens a group of bureaucrats write a letter critical of the government the government collects its own supporters among bureaucrats and they write a counter letter and so it's a pretty sterile kind of uh, mm-hmm. war going on they in a echo chambers don't you think yeah. that they, they are in echo chambers but i know that many of those who write this letter are people who cannot become part of active politics but they have hmm. uh, their own views a certain conviction and they believe that certain things need to be preserved or certain things need to be defended and i respect them for that but yeah. i think what we need is a greater effort see not everybody can write columns not everybody goes on television so if they get together and write a letter is that okay is that fine i think a... it's a democracy people can write letters should okay and and i appreciate that okay my column which you referred to was about what happens to officers and bureaucrats when they are in service hmm. and i don't make a great virtue of this my father was in the ics hmm. and to take a stand which they believe to be correct even if they felt that the political master may not like it one in a million easy. maybe you know came to them far more easily it's a small service it was a service which still was independent and i know of politicians from the stories i heard from my father who respected the officer for that because they would rather have someone who gives free and fair advice than someone who's a uh uh reflex yes man but today things have changed it's not just today no pavan ji i i mean i've also seen it. it i mean we're all products of the same system but it's always been there those bureaucrats who who defied or forget about even defiance even advised a a politician in a certain manner didn't get plum postings and didn't have uh, post retirement benefits jobs it's a system which has continued all through where is the any no, change perhaps it was always there but the degree of uh, uh, the the gradual compromise of the bureaucrat where he has become an accessory to the politician because both are beneficiaries the politician is happy he's got hmm. a bureaucrat who endorses what he thinks the bureaucrat is happy for the dividends of this kind of blind blind loyalty everybody is happy okay so i mean i think it's a question of degree i just like while i'm concluding you you mention in one of your articles that it's time to introspect the moral fiber of the country um tell me when when you say this like as parents uh we expect it out of our children right uh, our parents expected it out of us but in practice where does that come about because you know it's many say that this whole in politics morality is something which is which is dead long ago and it's it's an overrated uh virtue do you do you think that's no, the case i i must say that uh i can't say i'm aware of the inherent corruptions and amorality which some people justify as impossible to differentiate from politics there is money power there is unaccountable money which in my view is the root of all corruption in the country but that apart i think the young in this country smita need some role model hmm. a role model who stands for a certain idealism principles personal integrity and is willing to demonstrate it 
बिकॉज अदरवाइज द फीलिंग ग्रोज कि भाई सभी ऐसे ही हैं <laughs> तो हम क्यों ना हो एंड दैट आई फील इज बैड फॉर अ कंट्री विच इज नॉट अ कंट्री इट्स अ सिविलाइजेशन इट गोज बैक टू द डॉन ऑफ टाइम इन टर्म्स ऑफ एथिक्स इन टर्म्स ऑफ आइडियलिज्म इन टर्म्स ऑफ प्रिंसिपल्स इन टर्म्स ऑफ कन्विक्शन देर आर फ्यू सिविलाइजेशन दैट कैन मैच दिस कंट्री एंड फॉर इट टू लूज इट्स मॉरल एंकरेज ऑफ द डिफरेंस बिटवीन राइट एंड रॉन्ग in my view is a tragedy so do we expect it out of any one individual and does that individual become like a religious guru a political guru a spiritual guru do we seek that what do we seek when we seek uh, this moral fiber to somebody to enhance or to bring out morality in society what do we do it's difficult because i realize people and polit- politicians are people also and they operate within a certain system uh, where the end becomes far more important than the means let sure. me be honest however i think that uh, a nation which is bereft of idealism uh and i can only quote again it's a cliched example of what mahatma gandhi by the sheer dint of his personality and personal example kind of bequeath to this country at least for the initial years after our independence hmm. uh, a certain let's say reticence as far as wealth goes hmm. a certain awareness of the number of people who still are poor a certain uh, ability to say no to personal gain at the cost of public good these were value systems and over a time if everything becomes transactional hmm. where are those young on this country who shall be world leaders at one time i think it's bad for them that's all i feel thank you very much for speaking with us pavan ji it's been an absolute pleasure no, the pleasure is mine thank you so much thanks hope you enjoyed listening or watching uh, to this interview with mr pavan varma on ani podcast with smita prakash do like or subscribe to whichever platform you've seen it or heard it in namaste jai hind